Welcome to Antioch. We are a multi-generational, justice-minded church in beautiful Bend, Oregon, seeking and celebrating the reconciliation of all things. May the Word of God turn your heart toward Christ and the world He loves. As we move from gathering to listening, our scripture reading today is from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 to 23. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Marcia. Morning, church. Good to see you all today. My name's Pete, and I'm really glad that you're with us. Um, this is going to be a little bit different this morning. We're going to get to the sermon in a bit, but first I want to use a little bit of this time to help get us all caught up about what we're going to be discussing tonight at the family meeting, and that is our ongoing conversation about how we might best steward this building and property that God has entrusted to us. So it's been about six months since we started this journey together. And um, for those that maybe weren't around in the summer, let me just try to catch you up a little bit on the story, um, our story, with this, uh, with this building at the corner of Six and Clay. And so if we go back about five years to 2018, um, we started renting the top floor of this building, and uh, we did a pretty major renovation on the interior upstairs, built out our offices, some kid space, the loft, which is our overflow slash youth room slash multi-purpose room. And um, we were using the top floor Monday through Saturday, and then we were renting out Bend High on Sundays, which meant every week pulling the trailer up, unloading sound systems, setting up kids' classrooms and coffee and screens and signs and uh, all of that. And then when COVID hit in 2020 and the world shut down, uh, we were no longer able to meet at Bend High. And even after things started opening up again, um, Bend High wasn't open to us. And so it was about that time that uh, we had the opportunity to purchase this building. Uh, the church denomination who owned this building 
um, <clears throat> asked if we'd like to buy it. Actually, they offered to it to us for free if we wanted to join their denomination, to which we said, that's all right, we'll pay you. And, um, <laughs> and to their credit, since we were a church that wouldn't keep the building in the kingdom, um, they gave it to us for half of the market value at the time. So we're incredibly grateful for that gift. And so we bought this place in the middle of COVID, and while we were holding Sunday services either online or outdoors for that year, year and a half, whatever it was, um, we were spending that time renovating the interior and building this out. And then on, in August of 2021, when we were finally able to meet in person, um, again, we moved our Sunday services in here. And so we've been worshiping in here for the last uh, two and a half years. And not only holding Sunday services here, but using this place every way that we can, um, both in terms of serving our congregation, but also serving our neighborhood and the city around us. So um, in addition to youth groups, men's and women's groups, prayer groups, book clubs, Bible studies, um, other things that happen throughout the week, um, we get to share this space with Dios Asamor, the Spanish-speaking congregation that meets here every Sunday after we do. And then we've also been able to share this building with a bunch of our local ministry partners, groups like Young Life, uh, Shepherd's House, After School Buddies, Global Immersion, and we've even been able to share it with Bend High for some of their um, counseling and tutoring programs. And so um, we've been able to share the building with lots of, lots of folks, which we love, and we've also been able to launch a couple local initiatives out of this place. And so last spring, a bunch of Antiochers got together and built a really beautiful community garden um, over on the lawn at Salvation Army. And all summer long, we were able to provide fresh produce for everybody that came through the food pantry there, in addition to the boxed and canned foods that they would get otherwise. So really beautiful initiative that will continue to serve our neighborhood and those in need in our city for a long time. And we've also partnered with the city of Bend in an initiative called Safe Parking. And so you may not know, but there's a row of parking spots on that side of our building that are designated um, as a place where folks who are temporarily living in their vehicles um, have a safe spot to park while they transition into long-term housing. So we love having them here and we've seen dozens of folks come through and are now in a permanent situation. So the point is that this place gets a lot of use. It's busy here, not just on Sundays, but all week long. And when we first bought this place, we honestly didn't really know what we were gonna do with it or how long it was going to work. Um, as you know, it's a weird, ugly, old concrete block that's uh, on a pretty small lot, and um, it's pretty tight on space, both here on Sundays and throughout the week. And so um, it's been an incredible gift to have this place, especially as we were coming out of COVID and needed a place to kind of regroup and relaunch. But the question we were kind of asking as, as elders and pastors um, was, Six and Clay going to be our starter home as a church, or would this be our forever home? And um, that was really unclear for quite a while. So uh, a couple years ago, as we're trying to figure that out, we hired um, 
an architecture firm to kind of help us think about what would it look like to expand this building a little bit to make it more fitting for our, to be a, become a forever home. And so um, the tent probably won't last forever, so maybe we could add a lobby on. We're also not up to ADA code, and we would love to be able to serve those with disabilities. We need an elevator, we need a better kitchen, we need better kids space, um, and a bunch of stuff like that. And we came up with some really cool drawings and really cool ideas. The problem was that none of them really expanded our capacity at all. And the main issue was that we're already way below the parking requirements. And so if we were gonna touch this building and do anything at all, then we would need to add more parking spots um, rather than take any away. And so this was kind of a frustrating thing, super frustrating actually, because um, we really love this location. We love being right in Midtown Bend. We love being right across the street from the high school. We love being right next to the new Bend Central District that's gonna totally transform this whole part of the city. And we hated the idea of having to like sell off this place and go out to the edge of town somewhere to buy property or something like that, but it just didn't look like this was gonna be a workable option. We talked to the Salvation Army, tried to buy that building. We talked to other local churches. We're walking through all different spaces, all different properties, and uh, not much was looking good. And then, about a year ago, something interesting happened. And that is, in January of 23, the Bend City Council voted to remove all minimum parking requirements across the whole city. And their goal, they said, was to make Bend uh, less car-centric, more walkable, more affordable place to build and to live so that build, uh, businesses and properties aren't constrained by parking restrictions. So they got rid of them. Now, honestly, I don't know if that's a good idea for the city. I don't know what it means for Bend long-term, but what it means for us is that it's now possible for us to build or develop or expand um, into part of what is our current parking lot out there. And um, since 80 to 90% of you don't park in our parking lot on Sundays, you park either on the street where there's plenty of street parking or across the street at Bend High, um, which there will continue to be parking there even once they redo it, um, this is a kind of exciting development. And so after uh, the law changed, we consulted with the city, with some contractors, and we decided last spring that this place here at the corner of Six and Clay would indeed be our forever home. And um, started to dream about what it would look like to settle down here, to put deep roots in and to set up shop for the long haul. Uh, about six months ago, last summer, we invited you into this journey as a congregation. Invited you to start dreaming and praying about how God would have us steward this additional buildable space that he'd given us. How could we use this building and our property here to serve Christ and to serve our congregation and to serve our neighborhood in the name of Jesus. And so what we told you in July was that we didn't know what this was gonna look like. We had no money and we had no plans. And we didn't really know where we were going. All we knew is that we were gonna get there together. And um, in September, we announced that we had found a local architect that we were excited about 
who would serve as kind of a consultant and a guide through this process. And we hired Alex Collins, who uh, has a Bend-based architecture firm called Blue 40. And we met Alex through Justin Nelson, our uh, good friend and furniture designer who's part of our congregation. And the two of them have collaborated, done a lot of really cool projects together. And Alex is insanely talented and has been so great to work with. He did go to the University of Oregon, but other than that, I like him a lot. And um, I'm so glad that it worked out. So for the past few months, we've been working with Alex and his team to dream about what this place could be. And the first thing we asked you to do was to speak in in the form of filling out a lengthy and in-depth survey. And many of you did that, sharing your thoughts, your feelings, your dreams, your questions, your concerns about this building, about this property, about this plan. And uh, we didn't know how many of you would fill it out, but many of you did. And um, we, we really, uh, really appreciated all the input that came in. And then the next thing we did was gave a survey out to our neighborhood. And we sent it to every house within a half mile radius of this place. And um, we asked them, what do you know about Antioch? What do you think about us? What do you think about our neighborhood? What needs are there that could be met? And um, we didn't get tons of engagement. We got a little bit and we're able to hear some of their questions and thoughts and concerns about what our neighborhood needs as well. For the last month or so, Alex and his team have been taking all those thoughts, ideas, questions, visions, and kind of distilling them down into a couple of feasible pathways forward for us. And so tonight, if you're able to our, come to our family meeting right here at five o'clock, you're gonna get a chance to meet Alex. He'll be here with us. And he will present to us a couple of concepts that he's been working on that kind of represent a couple of general directions we could go should we decide together that that's something um, we want to do. And uh, if you're not able to be here tonight, that's okay. We're not going to live stream the meeting, but we will record it and we'll send out the video link in a day or two. So you'll have a chance to, uh, to get in on it then. And then the next thing is we'll invite everybody um, to speak in once again. Now that we have a little bit more information, a little bit better idea of what's possible, um, then we'll continue to pray, to discern, to discuss um, about where we want to go from here. And so um, I, I want to make it clear again that no decisions have been made yet. We still have no money and no plans, okay? Um, and so whatever we are going to do, we're going to do together. And uh, I know some of you have some concerns. They're like, I kind of like things the way they are. And that's, that's great. We want to talk about the whole thing. So, um, so tonight, if you're able to come, you'll get to see some exciting ideas and possibilities. And that will kind of represent our next step forward. Sound good? All right. Cool, cool. I have 17 minutes to do 1 Corinthians 9, so we're just going to focus in on a couple of verses this morning. If you were here with us two weeks ago, we spent a little bit of time talking about the idea of vocation, and uh, I know that was interesting or helpful to many of you. We talked about how the word vocation often gets used interchangeably with words like career 
or job, but in the Christian tradition, vocation is actually a much more robust concept. Um, it comes from the root voca, where we get the word vocal. So your vocation is your voice. It's God's calling on your life. It's the song your life is meant to sing. It's the thing that you were put on this planet to do. And we talked about how there's three dimensions to God's vocation for your life. Your general calling in the center, your immediate calling, and then your specific calling. This is based on a model from a book called Courage and Calling by Gordon T. Smith. And so first, your general calling in the center is the calling that God has given you to himself. God has called you to himself to live in communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is your first and highest calling in life. To know God, to love him, to be with him, to become like him as his spirit forms the image of Jesus in you. So that's the first dimension of your vocation. Next is your immediate calling. And this is the everyday stuff of life that God has called you to in whatever's in front of you today, which most often looks like going to work and providing for your family and taking care of your house and being a neighbor and being a friend and being part of a church. It's the stuff that doesn't usually feel all that spiritual or vocational, but it's the call to be faithful with little with whatever it is that's in front of you today. And so this is all part of God's calling on your life, to be faithful to your immediate responsibilities. And then finally, that outer layer is what we'd call the specific calling. And this is the unique way that God has called you to participate in his mission in the world. And most often, he wires that vocation into our being meaning he gives us a specific set of gifts, talents, passions, abilities, experiences, along with our unique personality and temperament and way of seeing the world. And sometimes we're able to make a living by pursuing our specific vocation, but not always. For many of you, what you do from nine to five is just a job right? It's just a way to pay the bills, put dinner on the table, and maybe make a contribution to society. Um, but it's not something like you're super passionate about or feel like you were made to do. It's just your job. And that's okay. In fact, it's an honorable thing to faithfully plug away at a job, even if you don't love it, if it means providing for yourself and for your family. So no shame in that. Do your work as if unto the Lord. For others of you, what you do from nine to five isn't just your job. It's your calling. Like you get to spend your days doing the thing you were put here to do. Like God has uniquely wired you to be a chef or a coach or a doctor or a designer or a teacher, or a builder, or whatever it is. That's not just your occupation, that's your vocation. And God has even blessed you with the ability to do it for a living. That is an amazing gift. 
Some of you know exactly what your specific vocation is. It's crystal clear to you and maybe has been your whole life. For others of us, it takes years and years or maybe decades and decades to discern what is the thing that God is calling me to do with my life. And sometimes that vocation takes different forms in different seasons and different stages of life. And that's okay. It's all part of the process. When we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, what we find is someone who has a crystal clear vision for God's vocation upon his life. And in verse 16, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter to the church in the city of Corinth, he speaks like a man on a mission from God, because that's what he is. Listen to his words here. He says, for when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. See, for Paul, preaching the gospel wasn't just a hobby, and it wasn't even just a job. It was his vocation. It was the thing that God had so clearly called him to do that he believed he would be sinning if he didn't do it. And Paul even goes on to say that while he has the right to make a living preaching the gospel, that he would keep preaching even if he got, never got paid another dime to do it. Now, if Paul were married, he may have felt differently about that. But that was his conviction. This isn't just my job. This is the thing that God put me here to do, and I'm going to do it no matter what. But his goal wasn't just to preach the gospel. His goal was that through preaching the gospel, he might help introduce as many people as possible to Jesus. In verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Paul's singular focus in life is serving Christ by bringing as many people as possible into the life-giving fullness of the kingdom of God. And he says that because of this vocation, that he, even though he's free from all, has become the servant of all. Now, what an interesting thing to say. Because these two statements feel mutually exclusive to us. That either I'm free from all people, or I'm a servant of all people. But Paul says that he's free from all, and he's a servant of all. I don't know about you, but I like the idea of being free from all. Free from other people's expectations. Free from other people's opinions. Free from needing the approval or the acceptance of others. Like someone who's free doesn't have to spend much time worrying about what other people think about them. They don't waste time and energy wondering if maybe somebody's mad at them. Someone who's free from all is the kind of person who knows who they are, knows what they want, and isn't going to let anyone stand in their way. They're also the kind of person that tends to leave a trail of destruction in their wake, right? 
They're so self-confident and self-centered that the people around them end up either feeling used and abused or ignored and overlooked altogether. And it may sound great to be free from all and to live life on your own terms, but most likely you're going to end up hurting a lot of people, burning a lot of bridges, and even if you're successful in going where you want to go, you're going to get there and find that you're totally empty and alone. So that doesn't sound great. On the other hand, being a servant to all sounds even worse, right? Spending your whole life trying to please others. Worrying about what other people think of you. Trying to live up to their expectations. Trying to win their approval or admiration or affection. Being a servant of all sounds like a life of being trampled on, taken advantage of, manipulated. Only being valued for what you do rather than who you are. Someone who's a servant of all has no sense of self. They don't know who they are or what they want. They're just trying to make everybody happy. So even if everyone praises you for being so humble and helpful and generous, deep down you know that the only reason you do all that is because you need to be needed. And so in a strange way, you're using and manipulating others around you, but you're doing it by taking care of others and meeting their needs. So even though being free from all might sound great, it usually means you're a self-centered narcissist whose whole world revolves around you. And being a servant of all might sound noble or honorable, but it usually means being a spineless pushover who gets treated like a doormat by the very people you're trying to please. So you can be free from all, or you can be a servant of all, but both ways lead to an empty and miserable existence. But Paul seems to be saying that the secret to a life full of joy, meaning, and purpose is to be both at the same time. He's free from all, and he's the servant of all. He's able to be free from all because his sense of self His identity, his security, his belonging, his needs for love and affirmation have all been satisfied in Christ. So he's not going to let anybody else dictate his life for him. He's not going to let anybody's expectations or anybody's opinions of him shape who he is or what he does. He knows who he is because he knows whose he is. He belongs to Jesus and no one else. And being free from all in Christ doesn't turn Paul into a self-centered narcissist. It actually turns him into someone who's free to be a servant to all. Because he's been loved and affirmed by Jesus, he doesn't need the people around him to like him or accept him. So he's free from chasing their approval. Now notice in verse 16 that Paul doesn't say that everyone has made him their servant. What he says is that he has made himself the servant of all. It's a big difference, isn't it? This isn't a spineless, people-pleasing kind of serving. 
This is the kind of serving that requires an incredibly deep and solid sense of self, which Paul has in Christ. So let me read this passage, verses 19 through 23, for you again. This time I want to do it from the message translation. And I want you to listen in Paul's words for this emotionally healthy, non-anxious way of being that Paul is describing. He says, even though I'm free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet to a God-saved life. And I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. I love that. You can hear this self-defined, yet loving, compassionate, empathetic heart. He knows who he is. He's clear on his vocation. He's not going to let anybody else dictate his life. And yet he's not living self-centered. He's laying down his rights. So that he can walk into a room and whoever it is he meets, he has the cultural intelligence to enter into their world. Not to try to gain their approval, but so that he can love them the best way he knows how, which is by sharing with them the good news of Jesus and his gospel. These are the words of a man who is crystal clear on God's vocation for his life. Because he knows who he is and what he's called to, he doesn't use people, nor does he get used by people. He loves people. And he's willing to do whatever it takes so that they can come to know the Jesus that he knows. And so if Jesus is your master, then you are free to be a servant of all. And Paul's telling these Corinthians, these people that had, they had some questions for him. They had some, they had some opinions about him. And Paul says to them, I hear you, and we can talk about that. And I am here to be your servant. Paul says to them, but you're not going to be my master. And the moment that Paul lets them or anyone else become his master, then he becomes their slave. But if he is a slave to Christ, then he's free to love and to serve all. I wonder what this might look like if this were true of you in your life and in your vocation. When it comes to your work, your job, your career, your boss, your company, 
your coworkers? What if from a place of security and belovedness in Christ, you were able to say, I'm here to serve, but you're not my master? What if when it comes to your family, your relationships, your marriage, your kids, your parents, your community, we were able to say, I'll be your servant, but you won't be my master. What if as your pastor, I was able to say to you, I'm committed to you, and I love you, and I will always be your servant, but you're not my master. Christ is, and he always will be. And the moment I let you or anyone else become my master, then all of a sudden, I'm enslaved and no longer free. So church, I want you to think about what that might look like for you to live in the life-giving fullness of the gospel of Jesus, perfectly loved and accepted just as you are, and therefore free to live a life of loving all and serving all. Amy's going to come lead us to the table where we're going to pursue our first vocation, God's invitation to himself. And it's here that we meet him and find the love, the grace, the forgiveness, and the acceptance that we long for. Amen.